Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Glad you're with us. Hour number two, Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. Alongside Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. David Reed is the chairman of the board. Jonathan Moulton and Jakob Swanson making the show happen for us today. Chad Withrow down in Jacksonville. His favorite city. Yeah. His favorite, His favorite state. City. That's right. That's right. Um, Titans head, head north. Headed to Indy this week. We have a full game preview. I've got three keys for the Titans to go on the road and win. Uh, Paul's going to tell you a percentage chance for the Titans to win the division, even if they lose this game against Indy. It's a massive game for the Colts when you look at what it means and how it impacts the rest of their season versus a, a loss would would suck for the Titans too, but not nearly to the extent of, of Indianapolis. We'll hit those details coming up in about an hour and a half as we preview Titans and Colts. We do know, though, Paul, uh, Vrabel announcing earlier today, no Julio Jones this week. No Julio Jones, no Kari Blossom game. Um, and, and I'm thinking, you uh, you might know this rule better than I am, uh, Torrey Carter, the second fullback on the roster, if he's called up from the practice squad for this game, it would be his third game up. Yeah, but there are different designations for the call-ups because you can have, I believe, two standard veteran. Standard elevations. Yeah, two standard elevations per season from the practice squad before you have to, if, if you've tried to do it a third time. This would get, be his third time. Well, but there's a different designation that I can point to in a second. So if you did that more than two times, this is based on last year's rules, then you would have to sign them to the active roster if you wanted to do that. Um, but there's also a COVID elevation. So, and, and I don't believe you have to have, I don't believe you have to have uh, some player affected by COVID who's inactive in order to use that designation. I, I, I see. I haven't seen the Titans call anything a COVID elevation this year. They've called them all standard elevations in the transactions that they've made the day before or the day of games to elevate guys. Okay. So I believe if Torrey Carter's called up this weekend, and I would expect he will be because they'll need him on special teams at the very least, even if they're not running much two back, they'll need Torrey Carter up. That would be his third standard elevation, in which case you'd think he'd have to be signed to the roster. I, that's the way the it was last year. It was, you could do it twice, and then because this was always the, the, the Compton, Will Compton deal. Because they had him and Darren Bates, and they would like rotate those two guys for a while. And yeah, then, over the course of like a month and a half. And then they had the. And sign. then eventually they signed one of them to the to the active roster. And I think I think Bates was on the active roster maybe for three days, and he was cut again, and they ended up in Houston. So again, I it's all it's it's crazy to keep up with. Um, I, well, I feel they like, like it could Carter be a, lot a lot on special teams. Um, and they, I, I would expect he'll be elevated. Julio Jones will miss his third game that he doesn't start. We know he's not finished at least two, maybe three games where he's been 
held out sometimes seemingly against his will based on his interactions with Rob Moore on the sideline. They're not getting work out of Julio Jones. I know people are anxious to pronounce the whole thing a bust. I don't think you can judge it until we see what they get out of him over the total season. Look, if he comes on and gives them six good weeks or even four good weeks at a crucial part of the season later and contributes in the playoffs. I think maybe you'd trade a second round pick for that. If this turns out to be the season that you want it to be, but right now the return right now, completely insufficient. Right. And I, I I agree with you. Um, Way too early to judge Julio Jones. We will judge Julio Jones in January. I mean, that's, that's where his impact should be felt. Yeah. Now if it's early January, That'll be a, a problem. If he's unavailable, then it's a bust. I mean, that because he had an injury history when you made the move. It's just one of those gambles, though. I think uh, at the time, everyone's willing to roll the dice and, and gamble. Just we like said the same every, thing everyone about boards Jadavian the plane and goes to Vegas. We said know? the same thing about Jadavian Clowney last year. It was the right move to make. It didn't pan out. Now, the thing is, if you keep stacking up moves that look like the right move to make that don't pan out, you know... Agree. If you're repeatedly unlucky with these things, is it unlucky? Like, how often can you be unlucky? Then you, there's got to be some pattern there that you want the GM to be able to undo, break free of, all of those things. Packers beat the Cardinals last night on Thursday night football, 24-21 the final, and a crazy finish where Arizona has a goal line stand. They get the football back. They drive down the field and... Kyler Murray throws an interception that should have been a touchdown catch if A.J. Green knew the right and the correct route to run on the hot route that Murray checked to against a former practice squad player. I don't even know if he needs to run the right route. If he just turns around, he probably catches it. At the very least, he breaks it up. I don't even... The way... It it was very odd, his mannerisms of that play. I don't think he he thought that he... Number one... He thought he was completely uninvolved in the play. He Yes. I th- he thought that he was just a decoy in some way, just getting a guy out of the out of the line of scrimmage and out, out, out of the play altogether. And instead, what a heads-up play by the defensive back. It was a, the, a, I don't think he's getting enough credit for the catch that he made. That was a tough catch where he's being blocked out by A.J. Green and still maneuvers his body to make the catch... And uh, he had ha- space to get his feet in. And, yeah, the did. hands part was the yeah, tough part. Yeah, the, the length and extension to get that pass, that was, that was great. I think he was shocked. Like, he turns <laughs> and sees that ball, and, and, you know, I think it goes slow motion for him, and he thinks, my God, if I could collect this ball, I win the game. And this is, like, completely unexpected. It, it was an amazing moment for the kid. Cardinals had five yards for a game-winning touchdown with 15 seconds left through a pick. Uh, Rasul Douglas is the defensive back's name. He was on the Arizona practice squad in week one, makes a huge play in week eight uh, on Thursday night football to hand Arizona their first loss of the season. Both teams now seven and one. Is it true that Aaron Rodgers said that he's grown out his hair this long for a Halloween costume? Or is that I did not I did not know or hear that. That's out there. I don't know if it's true or not. Reed, have you heard that? Well, Reed's grown a beard for Halloween. Yeah, I have um, perpetually. I, I mean, that <laughs> Did sounds. Did he say it legitimately? Uh, that sounds like something he would say in jazz. maybe as a goof. Yeah, but I mean, he has Halloween weekend off. He could have <laughs> sensed the schedule. You put way more thought into no, this. I'm just than saying. <laughs> when I heard it, I thought, well, okay, this could be an Aaron Rodgers type of Paul, thing to do. He's yeah, got Halloween. He, he said off. this. He said this with Pat McAfee. 
That's the only media appearance that he does still per be a week, goof. right? It could still be a goof with Pat McAfee. Right, exactly. But now I'm really anxious to see what he posts on social this weekend. Like Saturday night, he could be at an awesome party. And, and now what's the long hair for? Oh, so here's the quote. I have a month-ish until Halloween, and this has been a year in the making for my costume. I'm not going to give it away. It's somebody who's a hero of mine who has long-ish hair. Trevor Lawrence. McAfee uh, properly suggested uh, Scott Stapp from Crease. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's a Game of Thrones. I don't know Game of Thrones. There's a lot of long hair in Game of Thrones, correct? Yeah, there is. He's a huge Game of Thrones guy. But he That's says it's someone guess. who's a hero of mine. I, 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 now I'm really, I had no now, idea I've about I've set this. off the intrigue, right? It's very intriguing. And he's really gotten into Halloween over the years. That The Sporting News has done a great job of finding all these photos of his Halloween costumes with Danica Patrick. He went as Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. I mean, he does. It, clearly, he's, le- he's legitimately growing his hair out for a costume. Um, I mean, I think it, this is a long play. And that he didn't say anything about it. Until, I mean, he shouldn't have said it on McAfee, to be honest. Would, if he just sprung the costume this weekend... He went with his, the hair uh, he and then his cut ben his hair Stiller on Monday. From, ben Stiller from Happy Gilmore one year. Um, yeah. Okay. What a great long play. Well done, Aaron Rodgers. Now he's got to hit a home run, but I, I don't doubt that he will. Oh, well, now everyone's intrigued. Well, that picture of him last night on his side with the chin strap over his nose <clears throat> and the long hair coming out the collar, that's quite a photo. People will be dressing as that for Halloween. Speaking of Halloween, uh, our, our second- I'm going to grow my hair out to, for next year <laughs> to be Aaron Rodgers with long hair for Halloween. Uh, cats out of the back. Nate Bargatze has a, a joke about uh, bald men in his new stand-up. I'm not, I won't ruin it, but it made me think of Paul. Reed, you were there last Maybe night. Maybe I was Ryman. the inspiration. Did you think of Paul Neighbor. as well? Because Paul would have to go home and do exactly what Nate Bargatze said all bald men should do. Oh, yeah. And also, Paul would now be frightened to go out in public. Yes, and would. it all started. You absolutely would. All, we got to go to break so I can hear the joke. So would. it all started, though, with a tale about his neighborhood. And then it led into this uh, bit about the bald man. I and am in the neighborhood. I, I, I 100% believe I, that you are the inspiration. I was thinking this. about Paul the entire stand up after that. There was one bald man in the near the front. He was addressing him the entire time, and he that guy was very that, uncomfortable. He goes to every show and fi- immediately finds the bald man, so he's ready when he gets to that part of the of the act. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he scopes out. He has that, a spotter. That one detail. He has one of dad find me or a, a bald plant. man or a plant. There's someone from the back. <laughs> I'll be the plant, Nate. I'll go to he's your the, next the, show the and be the filler. bald man. Uh, uh, I'll kick the tailgate. One of our poll questions uh, for tomorrow. Uh, we mentioned earlier in the show today. Uh, most pleasant Power 5 surprise, Michigan State, Wake Forest, Kentucky, Pittsburgh. You can go weigh in and vote at OutKick360. Our second poll question for tomorrow, Paul, I don't know if you would be, I mean, you're eligible to vote. I don't know if you would even care Everyone's about this question. To vote. Paul would be the only one who doesn't care about this question because I know Reed has a definitive answer. What is the best Halloween movie of these four options? Scream, Halloween, Paranormal Activity or Hocus Pocus, which J.P. and Sibia watched for the first time last week with right. Tommy Long. If, if we had drum roll capability. Reed, for me, in my era, the vote is Scream. Because everyone that was 13 years old in Warren County, Tennessee, was sneaking behind their parents' backs to watch Scream and trying to do it and, do, and, and watch that scary movie with a date. 
everybody was trying to do that. That that's the go-to move in uh, Warren County. It, it was out. It was <laughs> stopping no, it, short. It was the it was the popular movie. It was PG thirteen, I believe, maybe an R. No, it has to be R, right? It may have been R. Yeah. Um, Jacob is saying X, but it's, it was R. Um, <laughs> that's a different. That's a different one. Uh, but it was the movie you were trying to sneak into, and we all had a great. Uh, we, we had great success watching. I bet I watched that thing in the theater four times. Jacob saw a pair of non-normal activity. That was I, uh, X. Look, no. look, Michael Myers is the OG. That's the only correct answer to that question. Yeah. I have seen... Halloween should run away with that. I have seen exactly zero of those films. Not shocking. And have interest in exactly zero of those films. Jamie Lee Curtis is right up your alley. Yes, yeah, she is. She is They'll right put her in there. something non-scary, and I've probably mm. seen it. But the, I think you would enjoy Scream. I, it's not like a nightmarish film. It's more there is some comedy aspects to it. You would make fun of the comedy more than you would the. You, you would I think you would you would be insulted by the comedy more than the actual fear and terror of the killer. Am I going to be scared at times of this movie? Like like jump jump screen? maybe a, maybe a little bit. I don't yeah. want jump screen. Maybe a little bit. But I would vote Scream just based on my growing up in the 90s. I, I just rewatched uh, I Know What You Did last summer recently. That, that stands the test of time. Now, is that Jump Scream? That's not that scary, is it? No, but it's got Jennifer Love Hewitt, so. Yeah, always good. Always, always a classic with Jennifer Love. Oh, J Love. Love, love, love. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, also, <laughs> how many how many knockoffs have they had uh, of of those? I know what you did last summer. I still, still know, know what, what you, you did, did last summer. And now there's an Amazon series based on it like a two or three part mini Somebody series. wrote me an email about what you did last summer. No, it's called I Know What You Did Last Summer, but just um, a different different plot. Hocus Pocus is is good for Simon. I mean, it's just a like a witch no, movie. I can't do Bette Midler. Uh-oh. It's it's a funny movie. Uh, it's not a... You were against Rochelle Rochelle? Is she in it? <laughs> yeah. Then I'm against it. It's a woman's <laughs> journey from Milan to Minsk. Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360 to weigh in. I, I'm with Reed. I think Halloween runs away with it. We should probably come up with a second option that's a little less popular than that series. But it's in here. Uh, Halloween is, is there to stay. You can run away with that vote if you'd like. Or you can be like me. 90s kid going with Scream. Trying to figure out the killer of that movie. and Get some popcorn while we're at it. Uh, coming up, Bobby Carpenter joins the show. We will get back to sports, back to college football some great games on the slate this weekend. Uh, we get into all of them. We will start with Michigan, Michigan State. We'll get into Penn State, Ohio State with Bobby and go around the college football top 25 matchups this weekend with OutKicks columnist and insider Bobby Carpenter next. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network alongside Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. We've been talking a lot of NFL week eight. It's week nine in college football. And every Friday at 320 Central, we are joined by Outkick's Bobby Carpenter. We, we love having you on, Bobby, each and every Friday to preview the slate of games. And there's some good ones, some really good ones this week. We have circled week nine since about week six. Because we've the last couple of weeks we've gone through some some weekends without the best college games, at least on paper going into the weekend. There is full reason to be excited, and it starts in the Big Ten with Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, Ohio State. Even though the Nittany Lions lost last they screwed week, screwed everything up. There, there's still a lot of reason to tune into the Big Ten this weekend. How are you, man? 
I'm good. Yeah, there's absolutely a lot of reason to tune in and to obviously check out the Big Ten. You mentioned this. This was supposed to be the two week, the weekend where two top ten matchups were supposed to occur. But you know, the Big Ten, they can't have nice things. Uh, Penn State couldn't take care of business. They lose to the lowly uh, fighting Illini. And because of that now, they fell in the rankings. They're sitting there at 20th. And you know, James Franklin is looking very, very distracted this week. So I'm curious to see exactly how this is all going to shake out. Didn't look like a two-point conversion play sheet was long enough for either one of those (laughs) teams. Um, And, and, I mean, you have to be ready for that. But I I hate going to two-point conversions that quickly. It's like a soccer penalty kick shootout, but not necessary. Um, what What would the ideal college football overtime be for you? You know, I, I liked the old overtime system. It's similar to what a lot of high schools use. Um, you don't really have the full incorporation of special teams the way you do in the NFL. You're starting from the 25-yard line in, and we're, we're putting in rules to solve, you know, aberrations, not things that happen all the time. And so people look at that like, we don't want seven overtime games that are five hours. The reality that doesn't happen very often. It's very, very rare. It's very, very infrequent. So I liked how it was set up before. And then you have to start going for two in the third overtime. Like that made a lot of sense to me. You know, when you start talking about having enough two-point conversion plays, you talk to any coach. I don't care even if it's someone who is as arrogant offensively as Lane Kiffin. The reality is they probably have two or three two-point plays that they roll into a game with. You want to be able to execute them well. So you don't want a ton because the reality is you're wasting time putting them in. Teams may only go for two. I don't know, four to five times in an entire season, even if that. So this is forcing coaches to rethink how they do it. They're going to have to waste some time you know, in operations on two-point plays that you know typically you would never have had in that small little box in the bottom right-hand corner of the play sheet is now going to probably have to get a little bigger just in case situations like that arise. Follow Bobby Carpenter on Twitter at BCarp3. Bobby, I, look, I don't have a, a great answer on the best – format for overtime this one's not great it's not terrible what is just annoying to me is watching for one play every overtime flipping the field and watching these teams walk down to the other end of the end zone I that's the most annoying part especially when you're trying this nine times well if you think about it like I don't blame the coaches for that I bring blame the process like maybe they should play two in one end before they move and two in the other because the reality is most college stadiums are set up where they're going to have a student section in one end zone. And so if you're the home team, you know what? You want to make sure that your defense is down there and it's loud. And once they get their offense set, they can't make audibles. They can't adjust. You have the defense behind you. And then if you're the opposing coach and you're the visitor, you want to take it down to the other end when you get your shot. Like the rules are set up for it to be like that. And then we complain when it happens. So they need to change the rules. They need to fix it because the coaches are just trying to have the biggest advantage they can. Michigan, Michigan State. I don't know how long this game lasts because both teams want to run the football. You've got the Wolverines who rank, they rank fifth in the nation in rushing per game. Meanwhile, Kenneth Walker III, uh, a Heisman hopeful for Michigan State. He's on full display. He's getting 150 yards a game. Which defense is better equipped to face the rushing offense from its opponent tomorrow? I think the 
Michigan defense with Aiden Hutchinson up front. They've got a really elite defensive end. He's very, very talented. I think they're probably more equipped to slow down the Spartans' rushing attack than vice versa. But for Michigan State, they don't need to rush for 200 yards the way that what they've been averaging all season. If they're able to just probably rush for between you know 90 to 110, and it's efficient, you know, where they're running it probably 15 to 20 times, you know, maybe 25 times, and they're able to roll with it like that. I think that's all they'll need because they have something that Michigan doesn't have, a competent passing attack. Peyton Thorne's done a good job at quarterback. They have two good receivers and Reed and Naylor on the outside, and they'll be able to press uh, the Wolverines defense in a way that Michigan will not be able to do on the other side of the football. So look for Michigan State. We're to get the run going early, but taking some play-action shots because if they can get a lead and force this game back on Cade McNamara, the Michigan quarterback, and force him to try to throw the football to win, I haven't seen him do that this year. Maybe he ultimately can. But why not make him try to beat you left-handed? Well, I, I, I love that. And I, I'm curious, Mel Tucker, he's, get, he's getting mentioned a lot for, for LSU, among other jobs. Um, Chad mentioned earlier in the show, Mel Tucker is known for not staying somewhere very long. Uh, maybe he loves Michigan State and wants to stay there. But what can the Spartans do over this stretch? They've got Michigan coming up. I know they have Purdue on the schedule They'll host Maryland, but then they finish the season against Ohio State and against Penn State. What are we about to learn about Michigan State that we don't already know, despite the fact that they're unbeaten? Well, I, I think like you know maybe Michigan, uh, you know, as well. Like these teams, they're they're not truly battle tested to the point where you know we've watched them play some of these close games and being able to find ways to win in critical situations. And so we'll find that out about Michigan and Michigan State this week, how they respond in tight games and how well they're able to play when the chips are down and, you know, big third down conversions. Can they pick up a third and eight, you know, with their quarterback? I think Michigan State's able to take care of Penn State. It looks like James Franklin is basically one foot out the door uh, right now. You know, I think James Franklin basically has one foot out the door right now. And so, you know, it's a little bit different situation uh, that he's dealing with right there. And um, I think Ohio State is going to be probably their biggest test at the end of the season if they're able to pull that thing off for both Michigan State and Ohio State – or uh, Michigan, rather, because uh, that's the team that's by far the most talented. Is the foot out the door to USC? That, that's what I would guess. I, I don't think James Franklin is going to go to Baton Rouge. I don't know if he – He's interested. I don't know if there'll be any reciprocated interest as well. Um, and I, I've heard rumblings of this, and this isn't anything that's like wholly confirmed, but I don't think his family's, you know, really enjoys Happy Valley. And so, you know, Baton Rouge is kind of a college town similar to Happy Valley. Obviously, Los Angeles isn't that. It's a much bigger metro city, which I think would be more appealing. Bobby Carpenter with us, uh, former Ohio State linebacker uh, before going to the NFL. And I I'm curious, Bobby, because you've, you gave us a, a great, honest opinion early in the season about this Ohio State defense and what they were not doing very well. Kerry Combs is, or Combs is not the, the defensive play caller there. And all of a sudden, over the last, what, three or four games, they've allowed a total, a total of 44 points. Meanwhile, they're averaging like 55 points a game over this stretch. What has changed uh, and m maybe some small details. What has changed about Ohio State? How good are the Buckeyes now? And what's Penn State facing, even if Clifford is healthy? 
Uh, so, you know, Ohio State's defense, the one thing they've been able to do in the past is been able to get pressure with their front four guys. That wasn't happening early in the year. They had very inexperienced corners. They had a lot of inexperienced uh, linebackers they were trying to play, and even D linemen for that matter. The last year they only played six games, and they didn't have opportunities to get guys in late in games and kind of roll them through. So there was a really steep learning curve. If you look last game, I believe they had five sacks, all five by defensive linemen. They're mixing it up. They're bringing a little bit of pressure now. The secondary is playing really, really well. I mean, John Dotson's an NFL caliber receiver, probably first or second round draft pick. I think they should be able to slow him down, but they're blending coverages. And the reality is a lot of the players are just playing better now due to experience in game reps. When you first are starting to play, every game you get, you're going to get incrementally better in a hurry. And I think that we've seen that here over the last four games. I think the the scoring defense now is top 20 in the country. Penn State, obviously not a great offensive squad. They'll get tested here later in the year. Uh, but I, I am excited to kind of see if they're able to slow down a quality receiver like Dodson. Uh, on the other side, Trevion Henderson doesn't feel like he's really had the big workload on, on the big stage. How, how much do you think he's uh, a deciding factor in this game? What do you expect? usage-wise from him and performance-wise? You know, I'm, I'm curious. I think Ryan Day has kind of been – I wouldn't use the term saving him, but he, the Ryan Day has been uh, has been restricting his usage a little bit. They've been trying to make sure that he's going to be ready to go in the year. He didn't play football as a senior due to Virginia and how they had to move back and forth with their season – if he gets 15 carries or 18 touches, I wouldn't be surprised if he had 250 total yards. Uh, Illinois was able to rush the ball for 350 yards against Penn State. Ohio State, I think, is a better offensive line, and they obviously have a better running back. Trayvon Henderson, in my opinion, is he's a top three running back in the country, and by the time he's done in Ohio State, I think he's going to be a guy they'll be talking about as potentially a first-round pick. I know the I know the spread is steep. I I would still take. Uh, Ohio State and lay the points in this game. I, maybe I'm crazy on that, but I think the Buckeyes win this pretty easily. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you're crazy in saying that. Um, I wanted this game to be closer. I wanted it to be more competitive. Ultimately, though, when I'm looking at this game and trying to break it down, I I can't see Penn State scoring more than 17 points. And this Ohio State offense has been absolutely on fire. It's probably going to be at least seven touchdowns, maybe eight. I, I, I didn't. I want it to be a better game than that, and maybe it will be for much of the first half. But I think Ohio State will probably win this game. You know, 49-16, 49-17 is how it kind of feels to me. Bobby Carpenter with us. You can read and watch his work at OutKick.com. Let's head to the SEC. Uh, I will be headed down after the show today to Jacksonville for the cocktail party, Georgia and Florida. Curious to get your your take on this. How do you go about beating the Bulldogs this year? And does the dual threat at quarterback, the, the two quarterback, and both teams will feature that tomorrow, does the two quarterback system at Florida give the Gators a chance to make this a fourth quarter style game? Oh, goodness. That's going to be tough. I, I like Florida. I mean, they were able to put up a ton of points last week against LSU. I mean, I watched Emory Jones come in cold and you know, complete a big third down throw. You know, Richardson's looked good at points this year. I mean, they've been back and forth. I think it would be better suited for that team if they ultimately had one quarterback playing. But 
playing two, I think, gives you a little bit of a flavor. I mean, to stop George, you have to stop the run. And so that's just me sitting here saying that. It's one thing to actually do it. And it's going to be very difficult for anybody to do that. Stetson Bennett's been – he's been adequate. He played pretty well against Kentucky. I think that was his best game you know, of the year. It'll be interesting to see you know, how they start and try to rotate you know, JT Daniels with him back, what they're going to ultimately do and how that's going to look because they've been rolling pretty good. And although Stetson Bennett might not be as talented, it's been producing wins. No one's close to Georgia this year, are they? I don't are the are you about to I say the Buckeyes? Well, I want to see a team with a legit offense. I know Alabama, I'm pretty sure, has an offense like that. And I know Ohio State. Ohio State has an offense like that. They have an offense that's very talented. And if you can score a lot of points, I know Georgia scores a ton, but it's mostly due to running the football and they pass when they want to. I don't know if you can if they can throw the ball when they have to yet. So I'm not, I'm not saying that they can't. I just haven't seen it, and they haven't had to. And that's a product of how good they've been running the football. But I think Bama and I think Ohio State would be really good games. And maybe to a certain extent Cincinnati as well, if they're able to score the football. It's just you've got to find a way to stop that running attack, and that's much, much easier said than done. Auburn, they won two weeks ago against, uh, at the time, number 17, Arkansas. They've had a week off. Uh, they have won five straight over Ole Miss in this series. And still, I'm surprised that Auburn is the favorite in this game, according to Vegas. I don't understand it at all. Uh, do you see that as strange? And uh, do, do, I, I see Ole Miss as, to me, uh, a, a possession favorite uh, against the Tigers on the road. You know, I guess maybe some of that factors into – you know, the location, the fact that it's at Auburn. I was surprised to see this. I addressed it in my, my podcast earlier, Carp's Cast, just the Carp's Corner, rather, because I uh, I was shocked when I saw that because Ole Miss has been scoring points at a pretty rapid rate. And, you know, they probably have the Heisman Trophy favorite in Matt Corral at this point. And I guess that's a testament. Auburn's defense is allowing less than 20 points a game. Bo Nix has played a little bit better as of late. He's going to have to have the game of his life I think to be able to keep pace with Matt Corral surprising that they're under that Ole Miss is underdogs but I guess that must just come down the fact they believe in the Auburn Tigers defense and then you believe that location matters a lot in this game and that being at home is going to be a big advantage Mississippi State has turned some things around Bobby playing better football more consistent meanwhile Kentucky they have found a way throughout this stretch to win, albeit their loss to Georgia, but they found a way otherwise. I, I find this game in Starkville to be one of the more compelling and intriguing matchups of the weekend across the entire college football slate. Night game at Mississippi State, Wildcats on the road, and and to see how their run game can match up against Mississippi State's pass game. That's it. You know, Kentucky, this is a big year for them. They lost to Georgia. They played really well for the first half. They've, I think they've got really skilled offensive coaches. They were able to scheme some things up against the Bulldogs. And, heck, they scored 14 points on them. And, no, you know, they're averaging five and a half a game given up. So they played pretty well against, you know, the nation's best defense. This is a big game because I think if you look at uh, Kentucky moving forward, they have the ability to potentially go 11-1. and one maybe 10-2. and This is a game that they should win. And so for Mark Stoops, I think this is a big momentum 
uh, builder where you know, you're coming off a loss. You know, you, you've been struggling, uh, you struggle a little bit in the game, but being able to push forward, what can you do with Levis? You know, how can he move the football? And can you slow down Mike Leach? And I think Stoops will be fine doing that. You know, if they're able to get pressure, they've got to be willing tacklers on the defenses most of the season. They're just playing a team that is completely opposite now from the team they played in Georgia. Georgia, all they want to do is run it. You know, Mississippi State, all they want to do is throw it. But this is a big game for Kentucky to prove, you know, that they have the ability to kind of stay in the hunt and stay relevant even after a loss. Iowa's had a week to recover from that big disappointment against Purdue. We're going to Wisconsin. Wisconsin beat Purdue. I know there's not a transitive property here. Um, but Wisconsin's going all right right now. I'm wondering if you think Iowa might might suffer two in a row after uh, after settling in at number two there for a whole week. You know, and this is another interesting game because I was ranked ninth. Wisconsin's unranked, and they're, you know, favorites in this game by, you know, about a field goal. Um, the game's at noon. It's at Camp Randall. It's in Wisconsin, so maybe that plays into it a little bit. When Wisconsin can run the ball, they're not bad. They've got a really good rush defense. Um, you know, and they were able to kind of, you know, get ahead on Purdue, dictate the tempo, and it was something that Iowa was never really able to do. And so I think you're going to be able to see early who's able to run the ball more effectively, take the heat off of their quarterback. If you put it on Graham Mertz's shoulder, I don't think he's going to be able to do it. Spencer Petras has played a little bit better this year. And so I give the slight edge to Iowa. I think they pulled this thing out, but I think it's a really close game. Baylor and Texas also intriguing. The Texas Longhorns trying to avoid a third consecutive loss. Meanwhile, Baylor... They're, they're attempting to go 5-0 and at home this season. They're ranked 15th, and they have lost five of the last six meetings against Texas. What are you expecting tomorrow in the Big 12? Well, you know, if you look at Baylor, I think this is a big signature win. No opportunity for them. We all get so excited about Texas. And every time they start putting stuff together, you know, it's Texas back. Is Texas back? Is Texas back? Well, you know, Baylor's done a pretty good job. They've put together you know, a really nice season thus far. Let's not forget they beat Iowa State early in the season you know, at home, and they're trying to build something as well. And I think you know, for the schools in the Big 12, outside of Oklahoma and Texas, they're going to be leaving. There's going to be a power vacuum. And so for the next season or two, whoever can kind of seize control of that, I think that's going to help in recruiting. That's going to help gain momentum in – to the newly formed Big 12. So I think this is a huge game for Baylor uh, this weekend. Bobby Carpenter has been our guest, uh, college football analyst for Outkick.com. Follow him on Twitter at BCarp3. Bobby, always great, man. We appreciate the insight. Love having you on each Friday. Thanks, man. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Thank you. All right. Bobby Carpenter there. Again, follow him on Twitter. Uh, He tweets out all the podcast links and and everything involved with uh, his work at Outkick. Uh, BCarp3. Three is where you can find him. Coming up on the show, I have my upset picks for the NFL Week 8 slate. I think Paul will hate them, personally. I am telling you, you can win some money with FanDuel. I'm going to give you outright rent winners of underdogs this weekend in the NFL. Paul's got some props for you as well. Some props you should play at FanDuel. He loves going to the well of wide receivers this weekend. I'm sure he's done that yet again. I have. We give you winners next on Outkick 360. 
Outkick 360 rolls on. Paul, you may not pay attention to the the ads from um, radio days gone by, but there was this guy called Jonathan Stone. Okay, and I think, in, I think Reed remind Reed knows he's laughing. Jonathan Stone says you can play these games as if they've already, already been, been played, played. right? Um, and he was definitive. And then I think he, you know, lost a lot and then changed his name and continued in the business of giving you uh, picks before you could uh, bet them. He now goes by Jonathan Hutton. Yeah, now now that's exactly right. Now it's Jonathan Hutton. Um, I will hit a, a better hit rate than Jonathan Stone this weekend. Live underdogs. Live dogs for week eight across the NFL schedule. Follow along with me. Hit two of three. Should have been three for three. If Miami just hangs on and doesn't allow Atlanta to drive down the field for like 75 yards in a minute and a half if, if, if. for a winner. Um, would have been three for three. Again, it's like a two-leg of a hitting two of a three-leg parlay. It feels like a win, but it's not. But we won money last week. We hit on two live underdogs in the NFL. Here are three more. I'm going with the Lions over the Eagles. The Eagles are one in five in their past six games. I like this pick. The Lions have emptied the barrel in recent weeks, and they continue to play hard for Dan Campbell. They've lost, the Lions, they have lost on a 66-yard field goal from Justin Tucker. They've lost on a 54-yard field goal by the Vikings. They were up 10-0 over the Rams last week, and they had a halftime lead over the Packers, but they haven't won a game. They're winning this week against the Philadelphia Eagles. It is time to finish a game, and it starts with Jared Goff. He played better last week, still turned the football over. Don't do that against Philly, and the Lions come away with their first win. You can get points uh, and take the Lions outright on the money line. Steelers over the Browns. Here's my thinking. I don't think Dearness Johnson is running all over the Steelers the same way he did run all over the Denver Broncos. Ben Roethlisberger has not thrown a pick in his last two games. The Steelers have won both of those games. They're now back at 500. The Browns are also at 500. And I view this game for Pittsburgh the same way Indianapolis fans are viewing their game for the Colts against the Titans. If the Steelers want any chance, any chance of keeping pace for a wild card spot or, or just battle down the stretch against their other two opponents ahead of them in the division with Baltimore and Cincinnati, not saying they will, but if they want that hope, they need to win this game on the road against Cleveland. Uh, Pittsburgh's coming off a bye. They should be as healthy as they possibly can be. Najee Harris is back in the lineup. Give me the Steelers outright. And finally, Jacksonville is going on the road and winning at Seattle. Things are bad in Seattle. The Jags are coming off their win in London. And they're coming off a bye week. Trevor Lawrence is not turning the football over at that rapid pace that rookie quarterbacks tend to do when they first start games at the start of the year. Urban Meyer has figured out ways to win games with James Robinson carrying the load for the offense. That's key here because in that environment, they need to go on the road and run the football well against the Seahawks defense that you should be able to do that against. Um, it, here they are with a, a chance to, to come away with another win. It's going to be tough to run uh, but this is a, a Seattle defense that has not been great as of late. They're giving up 415 yards per game. That is dead last in the National Football League. Those are my three winners. I nearly picked a fourth, but I'm only giving you my honest opinion on these. I nearly picked Chicago at home against the San Francisco 49ers. Um, it's going to be an ugly, sloppy game. But then I realized I would have to be betting that 
the, the quarterback situation in Chicago with Justin Fields where he's been sacked 22 times and he's only thrown two touchdown passes that he would have to be at the best he's been all season against the 49ers defense. I did not pick them outright. I'm not betting that game. I'm betting the Lions, the Steelers, and the Jags to win outright this weekend. I like two out of three. I like the Lions for sure. I, I uh, would bet that before this. And I'm tempted at, at Jaguars over the Seahawks. I think they're trending up, and I just think the Seahawks. Yep. I've, I've seen two Geno Smith games, and uh, it's hard to have any faith in that team right now. Uh, I'm scared by Steelers Browns. It's probably a game I'd stay away from or take the Browns in. But I think you've been doing a nice job on these, and uh, I I think you you may well you think hit we're winning money of, again. Two out of three here. Think yeah. We're winning the money again. I do. I, I pass these on to Chad, but he's in Florida and can't place these bets. You, place can, you can do that in ten states across the country. And you can 11 do it now, now. I think eleven now. You can do that now at Fanduel.com/slash/OK360. You can also find props for this weekend. Paul, what are you going with? I've got three here that uh, intrigue me. I think Dallas, uh, I know Dak's a little dinged, but I really like Dallas Sunday night against Minnesota, and two out of these three hit on that game. I I think Dallas, as the highest-scoring team at plus 900, has uh, a nice ring to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm there. I'll jump down to the bottom. The one thing that Dallas has trouble with here, they're 28th against the pass. So they score big, but they will give up passing yardage. I think Justin Jefferson, I, pl- I play with receivers a lot here because you can get big numbers. Yes. So, you know, you throw a little bit of money at Justin Jefferson, and if he's the breakout guy this week, you collect a lot of money with him at plus 1,500. Um And then the lowest scoring game on Sunday, it's always ranked really – pretty closely with the over-unders, right? And so San Francisco-Chicago is not regarded as a high-scoring game. Pittsburgh-Cleveland is not regarded as a high-scoring game. I look at games like the Bills-Dolphins, and I think, well, that's going to be completely one-sided. Or who are the Rams playing? The Rams are playing somebody bad oh, I've got you. again. And I think, well... Yes, they are. They're playing the Texans. Right. So you think, well, if the Rams beat the Texans... uh 28-3 as opposed to 40-3. to That could be the lowest scoring game. But the game that calls out to me this week is Philadelphia-Detroit. I do think uh, upset possibility there, like you're saying. But um, I just don't see either of them mounting many points. It feels like a 2017 game a to me. <laughs> and a 2017 game these days uh, is it, it can easily be the lowest scoring game in the league at plus 1300 because these other over under games are ahead of it. Again, huge payout. That's what I'm looking for with these. So Dallas is a great one because their highest scoring team on Sunday, they are on pace. Uh, They lead, by the way, they lead the NFL in offense and scoring. They average 34 points per game. They're on pace for their first 500, 500 point season uh, in franchise history. And here's the key with that. Even if we still had the old schedule without the extra game, they would still be on pace for their first ever 500-point season, uh, which is insane. I mean, that's how good their offense has been to begin. Uh, and it's like it's not 100 points better, 
uh, what they're on pace for than their previous record. It's like 50 or 60 more points than their previous all-time record, and if that, they can surpass that this And year. that's another thing that could play into Jefferson on the other side of that is that Minnesota's probably going to have to sling it some in order to, to keep up or catch up. We are just underway as we begin to shift to the big games across the state this weekend uh, and big topics. We start with the big topics in Nostville. Uh, Tennessee's not playing this weekend. They're beginning preparations for Kentucky. We'll get into the big recruiting weekend on the Hill. And we preview Titans and Colts here on OutKick 360. Hang with us.